Welcome to another Bite Side. I'm Seamus Byrne. This is a show about tech and games and digital culture and all those lovely nerdy things that we love to talk about from week to week. And joining me as always is Nick Healy. How are you? I'm really well. I'm really, really well. Can't believe that we're nearly through the year already. It's absolutely crazy. People keep talking to me about Christmas shopping and I'm not ready for it, even though I know I should have done it by now, technically. <laughs> uh, look, last week we talked about fleets. Are you across yes. them yet? Have you have you fleeted? I have I have fleeted. Um, I think pure, once just to <laughs> test it. Once it, once I saw the button was there, just I fleet. have spent a lot of time flicking through fl- fl- flicking fleets. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what nomenclature we're going to eventually uh, settle on for all these kinds of things? Um, but yeah, look, I definitely feel like a lot more people are, like an awful lot of people are using it. In a way that they're also, it's like they're complaining about it, but they're using it a lot. And I sort of sit there thinking, mm, maybe people just secretly love hating this thing and they'll just keep using it now. Yeah, because maybe. It's there. I don't know. I'm really confused. I got one person I follow on Twitter who who makes me laugh that nearly every fleet has him just be has been him saying, "I'm sorry, I don't have a good idea for a fleet," <laughs> and I really enjoy that. But I, I I've got to admit, I I've Actually, in the short period that the fleet service has been available, I've learnt to ignore it across the top of the app. I don't see it anymore. Yeah. And look, the thing that jumped out at me as well was it doesn't do the thing. I'm pretty sure that Instagram stories, that once you've looked at some, like that those faces are now moved off the front edge of that list and that if you tap on the first face again, that is like the next most recent thing. Whereas I've noticed with fleets if i tap on it and i watch a bunch and then i go back into the normal version of the app those same faces are right there and i'm like i've already seen that and now there's something else further down the queue and i don't know if i had even seen it and this is only in that context of trying to think about using it because actually for the most part i'm not that fussed either but the one theory i've had about a context that makes sense is let's say you are someone who, you know, does like the morning bike photo or the morning gym photo, whatever it might be that I could imagine there'd be some people who might think, yeah, like I don't want to just like that. This is now that little kind of side space to go, oh, here was that thing of the day, but that they also feel like they don't tweet enough about other stuff they care more about that they don't want to necessarily overwhelm their main Twitter feed and make it look like all they care about is when they take their gym selfie or something. I mean, I get you, and I get why people might want to do that. Um, we should also touch on the fact that uh, it's already been discovered they weren't disappearing after 24 hours. In fact, someone actually managed to use a developer API to just look at them forever. Um, they, in <laughs> fact, last for a month, believe it or not. The URL oh, sticks no. around for a month. Um, and if if Twitter thinks that they've violated something, they'll keep them for longer than 30 days so they can investigate them if they need to. So right. it's it's already been a, a very classic uh, Twitter rollout, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. And look, it's funny because Snap has also this week launched Spotlight, which is essentially, and look, Snap, long history of having all of its ideas stolen by Facebook. Um, the, finally, so, so it's turned around and gone, you know, that, that TikTok thing, that's got some cool ideas. Let's take some of its ideas over here. So 
the, you know, Spotlight is essentially their version of TikTok. But that kind of in my head, that makes sense because Snap was always that, you know, like it's still actually, as much as it's faded from the Spotlight. <laughs> oh. I didn't mean it. Uh, just, it was there. Um, that while it's kind of faded in a lot of regards, it's still well used amongst some of its kind of core audience. And that's still that kind of private messaging space for a lot of people. And so while TikTok is currently a little bit on the back foot with all those issues in America, though, of course, I love that recently we learned that they literally were like knocking on the you know, virtual door of US government going, hey, um, you guys wanted to kick us out of the country, but we haven't heard from you in like a month or so. Um, what's up? <laughs> What? What? Yeah. You know, because basically it was like Trump's thing that he wanted to kick for a while to look like a, you know, big tough guy. And then he ignored it once the election stuff kind of really rolled around. And now there's a company sitting there going, um, are we in trouble or not? We're not sure because we literally haven't heard from you. <laughs> I just, you were mentioning Snapchat. And all I can think is, remember four years ago, they were an official broadcast partner of the Olympics? Oh, my God, you're right. <laughs> Oh, because people are posting their snaps. And... But no, it was official. They were official. Yeah. And well, it was because, NBC you know, and what? Snapchat. The, the Olympics before that, like, they were telling athletes, you're, not, you're contractually not even allowed to tweet. You know, like, man, the Olympics is so bad at keeping up. It, it's really weird. I actually think they were meant to be partnered again with NBC for this year in Tokyo. But, of course, um, obviously, the 2020 Olympics take place in 2021, even though they're still called... The yes. 2020 Olympics. Uh, it's been a long year. It has. It's been a really long year. Yeah. Look, I wanted to just mention, um, yeah, Xbox Series X competition. Uh, I think I mentioned it last week. Oh, but yes. I think it might have come up. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, everybody is like entering, like there's, like there's, well, like there's a device that you literally cannot buy on the line. Um, awesome, awesome entry. So thanks to everybody. But just in case, all you do is listen to this podcast and never look at the website or the newsletter. Um, go and check out the details on the Biteside website because, yeah, this is uh, a pretty awesome opportunity to get one in time for Christmas. So go do that. And also, yeah, we mentioned at the very end of the show last time, maybe people have turned off by then. Sure. Sure. <laughs> it's good to get in there. Um, Look, uh, how long have I they just wanted to, to kind of throw in, in your direction this little kind of talking point because I felt like it's a newsy type thing. And so you're kind of, I don't know, you, you've got news brain on that kind of daily news cycle a little bit more than me. Um, this. I don't know if it came up in your sort of circles this week, but that in sort of some government hearings about um, COVID, well, it was about kind of spy agency <laughs> hoovering up data type stuff in general. And it came up that, in fact, yes, one of our spy agencies, they wouldn't say who, but it was sort of one of those Office of the Information Commissioner um, audits um, found that, yes, a spy agency, quote, incidentally collected uh, some COVID-safe data um, during their wider efforts. Yeah, just a and, little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. It's okay. And it's like, and but they promise they haven't looked at it. They just kind of, you know, they know they got some and and they're just totally not doing anything with it. So, promise. look, when I started looking into this, it was actually quite amazing. I didn't realise that there was actually a term, incidental collection. Yeah. Very commonly used by spy agencies for when they do just bulk grab data, not deliberately targeted, but just kind of comes in. It's like the bycatch when you're actually fishing for something different. And so, in fairness, 
while we don't know, while we have no idea which agencies you pointed out, um, the watchdog responsible for talking about this has said that there's no evidence that the agency has decrypted the data, accessed the data, used any of the data. Uh, it was scooped up in the course of what's being called lawful collection of other data. It's still a bit worrying that the data is out there to be grabbed by spy agencies, whether it's incidental or not. Yeah. So that was it. I kind of, in my head, it felt like all of the assurances were about sort of how it was in this silo that would not be, you know, part of any other thing. Right. And I mean, all the anonymization that supposedly exists around it, it's like, look, you know, I kind of trust that to a certain degree, except for, you know, the stuff that always worries me isn't so much what they intended to do with it, but rather how incompetent the developers might have been and therefore that there were kind of gaps in how well it would work. Um, but it's just one of those things where I'm totally with you on that. I just, yeah, wanted to kind of bring it up, but it does feel like that push-pull, right, where you're like, yes, we need, you know, in the work of really genuinely protecting our country, we need these things to to be safeguarded by our government, you know, and God love them, I'm sure there's, you know, the spy types do really hard work out there. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, this was not meant to be a thing that could just fall into this kind of space at all. Well, exactly. We, you know, we were told, as you said, it was going to be completely siloed. Look, people have pointed out that this sort of incidental collection could have happened because they were executing warrants. So it could have been outside of that normal scooping. It could have been someone's COVID safe data where they were looking into them as an individual. Um, they are saying that the, the agencies are taking active steps to stop doing it to ensure compliance is the right. way they're doing it, and that the data would be deleted, but they haven't given a date on that either. It's just deleted as soon as practical. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as practical is always, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's always a lovely kind of quote because, again, you're like, that partly means when we get around to it because we're busy. <laughs> it's just weird. So, look, I think this is one to watch. I don't – got to admit, I'm not panicking about this yet. Um, I do think I can see scenarios where this could just happen. I don't know if we're kind of veering into that scope creep kind of um, space yet, but it is something to keep a careful eye on. And I suppose we can be happy about the fact that it has actually been outed. We do know about it. Yeah, look, that's a good point, isn't it? Um, and again, you know what? If the COVID Safe app was out there doing what they'd <laughs> hoped it was going to do and helping contact tracers and spotting a few extra cases here and there that really helps to kind of rein things in. You're like, hey, a little bit of accidental stuff where it's they're saying, look, you know, we, we got it, but we're not looking at it. It's just it just happens sometimes at a little bit of extra. You're like, well, look at how much awesome stuff this app has done otherwise. But this really does feel like the thing where you go, wow, I like is someone gonna catch a you know a bad guy through COVID safe App data more than any case has been caught through COVID safe app data. That'd be something. That would actually be amazing. Contact tracing uh, has, yeah, that would be incredible if, if, if it solved some crimes, just yeah. not the ones it was meant to be helping with. <laughs> I don't know. Look, we are going to wait and see that. And of course, um, you know, uh, uh, it, wait and see how long COVID safe app sticks around. It, it's unclear where the country is going to go with contact tracing, uh, especially now that we've got, especially in New South Wales at the very least, it's mandatory to now have a 
digital collection process for when you yeah. go to a cafe or um, I think hairdressers have been included in it, bars and things like that. No more of that just scribbling your number on a notepad if that's what they've got available. It doesn't have to be that QR code, but it does mean all of this data is already going to be in a digital format, maybe easier to find, maybe easier to be swept up incidentally. I don't know. Yeah, and like that's... yeah. The privacy assurances around how that stuff works is the thing that freaks me out is just, you know, if someone's got some digital Google Docs form or, you know, one of 15 different, you know, out of nowhere services that suddenly know how to magically help you build an email list via making people digitally sign in through a QR code or otherwise, like there's so much of that where I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm all for businesses that say hey you know we're going to use the service new south wales app or whatever mm, you know mm. local app i'm like geez because at least with that i know that that is then going straight to the contact tracing system that new south wales has done such a good job with or whatever state you're in you know i don't know if if anybody else even has anything of that style available so it's just so tricky right now but um still digital better than otherwise and we're also just so lucky right now that we've done such a good job in this country that, you know, we're talking single digits usually when we're trying to chase this stuff down right now heading into the summer. So we're in such a good place compared to so many other places where any kind of contact tracing is literally being considered too, you know, too hard because there's just you know, overwhelming numbers. I know. And a special shout out to Victoria, who's basically hit the eradication point nearly. It's, it's, it's remarkable what they've managed to achieve. And spectacular. At, at, you know, at a great cost and, um, with a lot of naysayers. So, you know, congrats, yeah. Victoria. I know that wasn't easy for you. Changing topic, just off the top of your head, Seamus Byrne, how many services, streaming, video, maybe music, maybe what have you, how many would you subscribe to? Oh, <laughs> um, uh, more than half a dozen, maybe um, heading towards 10 yeah. across all different, across music and video and games. Yeah. It's a lot, isn't it? It really is. It really is. Um, <laughs> do you see that changing up. anytime soon? Do you see yourself dumping a few? Um, yeah, look now. Yeah, we did talk a little bit way back earlier in the year when I started to experiment a bit. And I actually, I keep forgetting, I've got to do the maths on that, um, where I sort of spent about sort of three months, uh, maybe four months, where I would switch it off. Every time I paid for it, I immediately switched it off again um, just to sort of see how many days at the end of each month would I kind of win back That's right. before I even noticed that I didn't have it anymore. And I'm confident that I probably saved, you know, anywhere between 50 and 100 bucks just in that few months that I did it because across all those different things. Um, but, yeah, so, like, there's genuine savings to be had. But I do, you know, and look, I get to claim a lot of it professionally because we have to keep track of these things and see what's the latest and see what they're doing and when they're updating their app features and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I have those extra excuses. But... Um, consolidation is always something I think about now and then, for sure. Are we heading towards a crunch? I mean, there's got to be, I mean, I heard today about, uh, not today, this week, about BritBox trying to launch in. And I get we're getting those specialised services. We've had Shudder that you and I have talked about. Yep. Um, are we, we have to crunch at some point soon, surely. See, part of me wonders if, you know, 
because like Foxtel's at war with itself over there, right? Like when you know they removed I don't, I don't the Foxtel now. Oh, they they removed the binge app from their own Foxtel hardware. Um, came up with some dumb excuse, but clearly it was an internal conflict between forcing someone to subscribe for an actual Foxtel service versus subscribing for Binge or KO. Um, you know, a part of me wonders, it's like if Foxtel itself eventually, you know, sort of just stopped, um, is there then like a giant scab grab for HBO and all the other services and then some other new service launches because there's all this stuff that's now floating around with nobody, no, actually, you know what? Standard just sweep in, wouldn't they? Because they'd be doing pretty well. They'd probably just go, yeah, let's throw some money at it, get all the rights to all those other things too. Full points on um, scab grab, by the way. <laughs> I know. It's been a long time since I've said those two words yeah, together. that's but... quite amazing. Look, yeah. hey, we are seeing some changes come through. I mean, we're seeing uh, Google consolidate what it's doing with music. We know YouTube are trying to, uh, well, they're trying to change up significantly what they're offering at the moment. Yeah. And... You know, um, I think it was Hope who did a piece for us on it this week. But, um, yeah, uh, really interesting to look at the idea that, you know, because I do subscribe to YouTube. Same, um, same, same, same. Mostly, you know, I just get rid of the ads, right? That was like, it. That just... was it. It actually worked. They just, the ads annoyed me so much. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, take my effing money. I am done watching these ads. It yeah. worked. It absolutely worked. <laughs> but, yeah, I think. Yeah, you know, and so I've already noticed, having had that, that you know, if I'm watching a YouTube video on my phone and then I just turn off the phone because I'm about to go somewhere, I kind of forget that because I subscribe, it keeps playing, because you can treat any YouTube video as an audio playing, you know, service if you do, you know, if you don't actually hit stop. So you know, that's kind of part of what YouTube already offers with the music type element, and then of course you can have a whole music library stuff attached to it as well, but. This kind of story is interesting in that they're also perfectly placed to set up things like selling you tickets to a live virtual concert because, of course, YouTube has all the streaming features. Um, And so the idea of literally being able to say, hey, that music artist you follow is about to do, uh, you know, push notification. Do you want to watch the concert for such and such? Here's the ticket price. Hit this button. And then you've got the access you're looking for, like really kind of good progression there of that idea of what does it mean to subscribe to a music service and how far can they go in actually letting an artist kind of almost have that complete experience of fan engagement through directly through the YouTube app instead of needing to do it through, you know, five different things to do the different jobs. I feel like other services have had similar attempts at this that haven't worked as well, but no one was coming from that base that YouTube already has. See, I think that's so much of it as well, isn't it? Because Uh, YouTube is just like everybody goes to YouTube. But the idea that Spotify, I know you, there's like an artist page there and, and I do follow some artists, but I would never kind of go click on that thinking maybe there's going to be some extra information. I'd just go there to get to an album that I want to listen to. Well, that's all I do. I'm not particularly interested in, I mean, wasn't Tidal meant to be doing this? Wasn't, wasn't that the oh, whole idea? Title was meant to let you interact with artists in ways you've never seen before. And everyone went, what on earth is a title? And ignored <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> yes. I mean, title, yeah, right? Like, it's funny, isn't it? There was something about the fact that 
Well, we've seen that multiple times because, of course, it was like Jay-Z was kind of one of the big people behind Tidal. But then we also had like Neil Young behind the Pony Pony device. Pony? What was Neil Young's one? I remember this. I remember seeing some of the devices at CES one year that were meant to be able to play this incredible high-quality music. But what was his streaming service called? I've absolutely forgotten. But like, you know, that... It's funny that they sort of have often been shooting for this idea of like perfect audio quality, you Pono, know, and like better Pono. quality than everything else. And it's that thing where most, like, just people, it's such a niche of people who care about perfect audio quality. Mostly, most people are actually just kind of going, I just, like, I want to have access to a great library of music, but short of sitting in front of like a perfect set of speakers at home. I mean, most people don't even do that anymore. No. So I think there's a weird kind of disconnect there with some of those efforts versus something like this, which is trying to say, hey, you know, if you're subscribed to this, then you will get to all these different, you know, all these different feature sets and the music video libraries. Like we actually started watching... Because um, we are thinking about switching from Spotify to Apple Music just as part of the whole mm-hmm. new Apple One package. It's like, oh, this actually might save us some money because we do pay for the storage and all that sort of stuff. Um, and one thing when we were just kind of testing it out um, is that, like, on Apple TV, I can kind of go to a music playlist and actually get a music video playlist instead, you know. And that's where I'm like, oh, I could probably get that from YouTube as well, but... In my own brain, I do think of YouTube as the everything place for videos, not the, oh, I'm I'm coming here for a library of music videos, even though that is something I know an awful lot of people almost exclusively use YouTube for as well. It, it's a really good point. I mean, YouTube for me is almost exclusively me catching up on what late-night comics in America have said in political <laughs> rants. I'm not being funny here. That's almost no, like, yeah, I mean, it's a great place to get it. Genuinely yeah. almost, and, and I'm paying $16 a month just to do that? <laughs> am I? Am I? I am. I mean, on the other side of that, right? Because I know I just total tangent, but I heard that um, Sky News Australia is now like absolutely crushing it on YouTube, putting up crazy right wing propaganda videos because um, it's a global, you know, there's a global audience for crazy right wing videos. Um, it's kind of funny that, yeah, that for us, it's like, oh, well, like it, it hits me that a lot of that late night comedy stuff in the US, it's like, Almost nobody, like apart from some real aficionados, most Aussies aren't going to try to go, oh, I wish I could see those Tonight Shows in full um, on TV. But putting up, you know, the interviews and the bits and the monologues as just easy access YouTube clips, it's like I, it does seem like, you know, remember for a, a long time, that stuff was always like, oh, it's not available in your country. Exactly. It seems more and more like they've gone, actually, we make an awful lot of money by just putting it all up there and getting like 100 million views on this thing. Um, so, you know, it's it's nice that that access is actually so much easier for us now. Look, I'm really happy about it, but I don't know if it's worth You've made me absolutely question whether I need to be subscribed to YouTube now. I'm so sorry, YouTube. Um, <laughs> but you've actually made me go like, well, why am I spending money on this when I'm yeah. watching and 20 minutes a day and that's it? Yeah, but then you'll realize that, you know, 20, like five of those minutes of the 20 minutes will be eaten up by ads again if you... Uh, if you unsubscribe. And look, I'm not going to lie to you. I am the person who didn't know for three years that he had two Amazon accounts. So it's not like I'm particularly keeping an eye on my As subscriptions. As two Prime accounts, both of them being paid for? Yes. 
Oh, <laughs> don't you remember this? I had the American one and the Australian one because yeah. I'd managed to do both somehow and not noticed until suddenly somehow I look at a, a charge on my credit card and I'm like, "What's that from?" And call up um, Amazon, who are like, "Yes, you you have two Prime accounts." And I'm like, "Oh, oh, <gasps> did they give you a like a refund?" They refunded every cent I had ever spent on the American Prime account. It was That ridiculous. is so good. Like, I mean, there you go. Service. They refunded me nearly $700. Oh, well. Yeah, no. No, no, no. And then you it went and spent it on Amazon? I, I kind of did, actually, a little bit. <laughs> I, I, Over time, I'm sure you have. You know what I'm like. Um, while we're talking about this, though, I actually have a bit of a fail at the moment that relates Ooh. back to this because... <laughs> Telstra recently told me that my uh, bill, the the tier I'm subscribed to, you know, what what do we call them when they're Telstra uh, plan? Plan, thank you. Uh, it's been, a, as I said, a long year. Um, yes. My Telstra plan was going up by $5 a month. And I'm like, okay, that's just the, it is what it is, no big deal. And then my next bill was $50 more than it normally is. Oh. And I said, hang on, hang on, hang on. You've charged me $50 more than usual. And they're like, yes, yes, yes. You'll get that back in your next bill. And I'm like, I'm really confused. Why? Why hasn't it just gone up $5? And they had this very complicated uh, uh, explanation that didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me, but assured me um, that I would get all that money back next bill. And in fact, they were going to knock $10 off my bill for the next year uh, just to say sorry for that. So my next bill arrived and it's identical to the bill I've been getting before it went up $5. And so I've tried to ask why this is happening. Why did it go up $50? Why has it gone back to average? And I've been told that it was a prorated expenditure. And I've asked mm-hmm. what that meant, and no one's explained that. And I've tried calling them because I'm not having any luck on this chat bot kind of thing. Oh. tried calling them. They told me that they're actually really busy and hung up on me rather than actually getting a, a call back. They've told me to text or whatever and then just hung up. And I cannot, from my ISP, get a straight answer on why my bill was magically $50 more before returning to exactly what it was. No one will answer that question for me. That is so weird. I'm furious. Um, when's this? Is this like, so this is still the ongoing thing? This still, is like oh, the latest this is bill not, is the this, one which just went back to normal? The latest bill is the one that just went back to normal. Oh, man. And I just, you know, this is the kind of thing that could be settled with a phone conversation. But yes. that is nearly impossible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and said it, they want me to do the chat through the app. But when I do that, even though I've logged in on the app, I've started up that, you know, Telstra chat. They still want to go through all the security questions again. They yeah. still have no record of what I've been asking last time. I do not understand the point of this app if there's not a file of why I've been in contact. Yeah. So, like, that's it with the chatbots. I've seen that so many times where you just think, I've written all this down in this app. Why on earth is that not filed perfectly just ahead of the start of the next conversation I'm trying to have about the same topic? I don't get it. It's doing my head in. That's my fail. I'll let you know how everything sorts out. Have you got a win? Sorry? Have you got a win for me? I do. I am like loving the hell out of new World of Warcraft. So Shadowlands launched this week. Um, I've sort of taken a, what I call a semi-holiday where, you know, I'm, I'm kind of smashing out a little bit of work, but I'm mostly spending my days in Azeroth. Um, and it has been great. I kind of you figured you just um, spent a lot of time I, in Azeroth anyway, to be perfectly honest. I do. I kind of normally do, but like not in the middle of the day so much. So, um, 
they like I finished all of the main sort of storyline stuff through, you know, and sort of leveled one character up to the new max level. And what I kind of always love is just the lore stuff that they do sort of such a good job on in Warcraft. And there were lots of moments where, you know, you just sort of suddenly go like, oh my God, like that cool, like that big thing's just happened. Um, and you know, elements that tie back into kind of old threads of things that have happened in past expansions or things that are just entirely new or things where you kind of go like, oh, I didn't realize like something that big was about to go down, you know, like, so there's like lots of different ways in which they kind of up the ante and create these like epic story moments in the thick of just playing the same game that you've been playing now for 16 years. Um, it's great, you know, and uh, I just, yeah, love the way that they kind of always kind of keep, you know, keep the excitement coming. And there's like lots of predictability to some of it. I'm definitely going to sort of write a little piece about why I still love Warcraft. I think, you know, the familiarity is always a kind of a huge part of it. But then when they they just give you some really cool story moment along the way that just just keeps you so excited about it all. So that's been really good fun this week um, to have yeah, a whole fresh new expansion that will take us through the next two years. I realize it's like a Biennale of Warcraft because <laughs> once every two years, uh, that first couple of weeks is always just really, really exciting. Look, it's what would always draw me back when I was still doing PC gaming to World of Warcraft was the lore. It's always been fascinating. Um, I've always enjoyed watching it unfold as someone who had no real background in it. And yeah, look, you know, the idea of playing World of Warcraft in, in their kind of afterlife worlds, that's fascinating to me. That This could actually drag me back. Yeah, and look, and that's it. They've, they've created the opportunity there to to create these new encounters with some really prominent old characters, you know, that have died long ago oh, or have yes. died kind of recently. You know, like one of them, you know, I'm like definitely avoiding spoilers, but like one that was introduced in one of the big preview clips was, you know, the mother of one of the great war chiefs of the Horde, uh, Thrall, that his mother, who kind of died protecting him as a baby, that she is this, uh, like baron of one of the kind of the four main, uh, realms that you go to and, you know, is kind of desperately working to protect this stuff that's going down in that particular realm. And, you know, through sort of the first wave of the story is like they don't cross paths yet or anything, but there's that nice thing where you're starting to go, oh man. They're going to get to meet, aren't they? They're going to get to meet. This is going to be so cool when we get to that point later in the story. Um, so really, really fun stuff with how they, you know, that they don't, as much as I've sort of said, I've finished that first leveling experience. You know, a lot of it is setting up further story beats for this next two years of this kind of expansion story cycle so that there's heaps of cool stuff right there out of the gate, but then there's also stuff that's just tantalizingly, okay, is that going to be like in the next few months or is that going to be, you know, middle of next year? When is that little moment going to play out? Because that's just part of that, you know, fun of watching it slowly sort of roll out. For a game that can legally vote in two years, it's pretty impressive how fresh it's been able to stay. Shall we <laughs> leave it there? Yeah, let's wrap this thing up. Um, Nick, where should you 
Uh, where should people find you? Not where should you go find people? <laughs> Just come and track me down on uh, Twitter. It is at dr underscore Nick. You can catch me doing my day job. I'm the breakfast host at ABC Western Plains. If you use the um, ABC Listen app, and you can actually catch me uh, on TV and on the Download This Show podcast this week. Excellent. Um, I'm at Seamus on Twitter. Um, I think my face is also appearing on a Microsoft promo at the moment because there's nice. a webinar that I shot for them recently. Uh, and it's, yeah, getting promoted and there's a weird video clip of me um, promoting that thing. But you should go check it out if you're into learning about how uh, awesome uh, Microsoft Teams technologies work to keep companies moving this year. Um, and they didn't pay for that. I just said it. Oh, well, I guess they technically paid for it at one stage. <laughs> um, you can also find all the ByteSide things at Byte side on twitter at the bite side on instagram or you can email us ask at biteside.com we love hearing from you and we will of course catch you again or oh, episode 50 next week we will catch nice. you then <laughs>